Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Today is Thursday, September 5th. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. We've got week two coming up, a lot of big games to get to, three uh, three really interesting games in the ACC, a lot of really intriguing coaching matchups that maybe uh, maybe are hiding a little bit, maybe not at the forefront of people's minds, but we're going to talk about a few of them. Uh, but first off, Tim, what's uh, what's going on? You know, just hanging out, a uh, typical Wednesday night. I'm trying, my days are all thrown off because of Labor Day, so uh, I woke Dude, up I'm thinking so today was this Tuesday. Week. But uh, so thrown. Yeah, it's it's crazy how it does that. You know, you, you go to work. I found out it was Wednesday at about uh, 5 p.m. So that's always cool. Uh, but you know, short week. That's a good thing. That just means we're uh, one day closer to college football. Absolutely. You know, we're uh, we're sitting here. It's NFL Eve. We're recording this obviously Wednesday night. We've got the Bears and the Packers kicking off the hundredth season of the NFL. Of course, the Packers celebrated 100 years last year. Not to brag. Uh, pretty excited about that one. In honor of that game, Tim, we've got Cal Virginia Tech from the 2003 Insight Bowl playing right now on ESPNU. And the thing that I'm really jacked about watching this game is the all very dark Chicago maroon uniforms. Oh, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, that they look incredible. Um, I, I'm not quite sure who... Who mentioned it on our Twitter account? But when I made that post about the jerseys, because uh, you know I love them. These are when I think hockey football. These are the jerseys I remember: um, the white number on the chest, the orange number on the shoulder. Uh, it was unique. Nobody really had that. Um, but this jersey in particular sticks out to me because how clean and simple it was. And I posted that to our Twitter account, and somebody mentioned, "Yeah, you know, he he really hated it since they've switched to this more fuchsia-looking maroon." And especially seeing it in motion. I mean, he's absolutely right. The maroon we wear on our jerseys nowadays does not hold up when compared to the uh, the dark, dark Chicago maroon of the 2003 era. No, it's, uh, it's, it was almost like a shock to see them because we haven't seen them in so long. Right. But, uh, yeah, I saw it and instantly, instantly felt a little bit nostalgic there. So uh, I'm actually I'm looking forward to a trip to Blacksburg this weekend. I'm heading, uh, heading there for the home opener. So uh, I haven't been to a home opener, Tim, since I graduated Ooh. Uh, about nine years ago. So it's been a long time, and honestly, this will be my first game back since 2015, the uh, the Michael Brewer Ohio State game. So it's uh, it's been a minute for me. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, living uh, living away from Blacksburg, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Had a lot of life happenings in between, so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun little week, and I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully, Tim. Hopefully it's going to be a very successful weekend and uh, one in which that Virginia Tech can maybe get some revenge on Old Dominion. Sure. I mean, that's what we're all hoping for, right? It seems like Vegas is on our side there. I think ominously we're opening up opening up as huge favorites again. Uh, 28.5 is, I think, the spread right now. Um, yeah, and that's what it was last year, yeah, I believe. It is. It's. It's. That's what I... What I was alluding to there was the fact that the spread is the same. Again, we're highly favored, um, and and this just isn't a spot where I where I see Virginia Tech tripping up. At least you know you certainly hope not. With everything uh, that happened last week, I think this game becomes even more important than it was, and it was already uh, extremely important to go ahead and, and right the wrongs of last year. But uh, you know, starting off on the wrong foot like we did, I think it's super important that uh, the Hokies get off you know on the right foot and get the season back on track. 
Yeah, no doubt. Let's go ahead and jump into this one, and then we'll go around the ACC. But, you know, with Virginia Tech, Old Dominion, you know, just looking at where the two programs are at this year, like, I'll just go out on a limb. There is no way that history is going to repeat itself on Saturday. There is just, I, I do not see a feasible way that Virginia Tech could possibly lose this football game. No. And the same could really be seen, like, looking back on last year. Like, how in the world did Virginia Tech lose the game? Right. Well, they obviously had some disarray going on in the locker room, a lot of off-the-field distractions. They had Josh Jackson go down in the game. Not that he was playing particularly well during that game and not something that the Hokies can use as an excuse. But, you know, Old Dominion is a team that went 4-8 and eight last season. They lost to 2-11 and 11 Rice to end their year. And this is a team now that is replacing their quarterback in Blake LaRussa, who had 494 yards passing and four touchdowns last season. They lost 33 players from last year's team due to graduation or transfers or whatever. They have 28 freshmen, 14 junior college transfers, junior college transfers, including their new quarterback, Stone Smart, and then they had six players transfer in. And of those six, you've got Eric Kuma and Chris Cunningham, two former Hokies, obviously, wide receiver and tight end, respectively. They've been named captains for this week's game. And some people are calling it a troll job. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I probably would have done the same if I was uh, if I was Bobby Wilder. But, um, you know, something that I'm more interested in is this is the first time that Brian Steinspring is returning to Blacksburg since he left the program in 2015. Right. He's the tight ends coach and the run game coordinator. And then a nice other little wrinkle, Galen Scott is the d- defensive backs coach. It doesn't who stop. Who was the co-defensive coordinator for Virginia Tech, who Fuente brought in for, with him from Memphis, who was fired after a, you know, I, I guess extramarital affair, uh, extramarital affair became very public right. on Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, Fuente was kind of forced to fire him. So that was also one of the other, you know, dimensions of last offseason that kind of took away from what was going on to the field. So, you know, it's uh, it's definitely interesting from that standpoint. But, you know, just going through that, I just there's there's no way Old Dominion this year, nor really in any year, should they ever have the talent to match up with Virginia Tech. I just don't see it for him this year. Um, I don't know what your initial thoughts are. It was inexcusable last year. I think this year it's even more inexcusable, one, because I don't think ODU is better uh, this year, and two, because I think um, it's like a lightning doesn't strike the same place twice kind of thing. Uh, We already got bitten by them once, and for all intents and purposes, there's no real way uh, the Hokies can come out and lay another egg here. Um, What I really am hoping to see is this is more – not just for this game in particular, but looking forward uh, going on and and moving on throughout the season. There are some things we need to see in this game uh, to hopefully be the harbinger of some good times for us down in the end of the season. And and one of those things is, uh, and this is all offense-centric, I think the offense really let us down at BC. Obviously, the turnovers are something we're going to want to see reduced. Um, so I'm hoping for a game where we have, you know, maybe two turnovers or less. I think that's going to be crucial, especially going up on a not-so-great defense in, in ODU. Shouldn't be turning the ball over there. That's one. Two, and I think this is the most important thing in rewatching the BC game, 
it astonishes me how often our Hokies offense goes three and out. It is so demoralizing and so hard to win field position battles when your offense trots out, goes three plays, immediately punts the ball back. That's something we're going to have to rectify, and there is no reason why we should struggle to put together drives against ODU. I'm not saying that every drive needs to end in a touchdown, but we really have to limit the three and outs, and I think that's putting our defense in a hard spot too. Um, If you go back and watch how many three and outs we actually had, the defense was on the field quite a bit. Um, Now, this defense isn't one of the dominant defenses of, you know, 2006, 2005 the Hokies have had. Uh, But it's not a terrible defense either. And I think the offense need to start doing the defense a little bit of favor uh, by giving them a longer rest when they come out of the game and and giving them some field position to work with. So that's my main feel is, one, I don't think there's a chance we're losing here. Um, It would be completely inexcusable. Uh, And two, I would like to see those two things improved upon and see those results this week just so that I know this Hokies football team is going to have a pulse for the rest of the season. Yeah, and, you know, I uh, I didn't expect to be sitting here in week two asking the offense to take the pressure off the defense. Right. And uh, that's kind of the situation we're in. Um, and, you know, something I did, there's a new uh, new website out there called We Played, W-E Played, one word. And it's a site where you can go on and watch the game back very easily. And you can, you know, create your own clips and your own highlights. So I went on there. I was playing with it for Virginia Tech, and you know one of the things I really noticed from our offensive line, specifically the left side, is we really struggled to pick up any type of blitz. Sure did. Um, specifically, you know anything past the defensive line, so linebackers primarily. And you know Christian Darisaw, the left tackle in last week's game, was left standing, not blocking a single person on multiple plays throughout the game, and those people got right through the line, hit Ryan Willis, either caused the fumble, got a sack, big play, whatever. That simply just can't happen. And, you know, I don't know if it's a Ryan Willis issue as well for not identifying the blitz or picking it up or alerting the offensive line. It's probably a mix of things. It's probably not just on Darisaw. But at the same time, you know, this is an offensive line that was supposed to be one of our more stronger groups. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that can contribute. So I think that's something to watch is just, you know, how crisp that unit looks. You know, what are they doing in a pass protection? They have to run block better. And part of run blocking better is not necessarily part of run blocking better, but part of, you know, improving the running game is Ryan Willis needs to get better, you know, zoned reads on the read option. Sure. Figuring out when to give the ball up, when to when to take it when to run with it Uh, that's something I really want to see improved in this game and you know I'm kind of under the assumption that I've seen a lot of people talking that you know I I really want to see Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson get snaps and they're going to get a lot of playing time I really don't think that's going to be the case in this one I think if Ryan Willis is playing well he's going to stick it in there for you know the majority of the game because this offense needs to find a rhythm it and does. specifically, specifically the rushing game, specifically Ryan Willis being able to hold on to the football, hit those easy routes, and there's nothing like actual game reps that's going to get you more comfortable in the offense. There is no way that Old Dominion's defense is going to be able to match up with our receivers. Yeah. And so Ryan Willis should have a relatively easy day throwing the football. Should. But can he be consistent? 
can he hit open receivers? Can he make the right. correct reads? You know, is he going to look downfield? Is he going to pick up blitzes? You know, that's something I'm really interested to see. If he does, for some reason, struggle, and by struggle I mean have more than one turnover, because I think more than one turnover in this game is unacceptable, then maybe we do see a little bit of Hooker and Patterson. And I'm not saying we won't see Hooker or Patterson take the field at the quarterback position. I think maybe we see them come in for a special package or something. I just don't think we're going to see them come in for a sustained drive or multiple reps in a row um, until Ryan Willis shows that you know he's got command of this offense. And part of that's on him. Part of that's finding an identity in the rushing game. And yeah. if you read between the lines a little bit from Fuente's press conferences this week, it sounds like he's ready to kind of maybe give the ball to Sean King a little bit more, have him ready to step up. Jalen Holston is going to be out for an indefinite amount of time. Went down with a uh, what appeared to be an ankle or a hamstring, had surgery on Monday. So he's out for the foreseeable future. So we've got Deshaun McLeese and you've got uh, Keyshawn King that are, you know, the one-two options. And, you know, besides them, who's going to step up? You know, Terry Sweetly, maybe a little bit of Cole Beck action. There you go. Who knows? But somebody needs to the chosen one. start getting the majority of the carries in this offense. So that's that's really what I'm looking most forward to see. Defensively, Tim, if we play like, if Virginia Tech plays like they do, or like they did in the second half against Boston College, I'm not sure Old Dominion's going to score a point. Right, And what I think Old Dominion will try and do is run the ball down the defense's throat because they've got a somewhat mobile quarterback in Stone Smart. You know, he had 50 yards rushing in, in last week's game. He's considered kind of a dual threat. They've got a, a, a nice running back in Lala Davis who had 66 yards rushing against Norfolk State. And this is also a team, Old Dominion that is, that had to have a touchdown winning drive to come back against Norfolk State so that's the kind of level we're talking about right now these two teams do not match up athletically on the field but as we've seen in the past that doesn't always matter so I'll be really interested to see how this defense holds up against the Old Dominion what I assume to be a run heavy offensive attack Um, you know I'm assuming they'll try to throw the ball as well get Eric Kuma involved but uh, yeah I mean that's kind of my early assessment I don't know if uh I'm ever going to put money on the Hokies to cover 28 and a half points, but I would really like to see them come out and put up 56 or more and uh, have the defense hold Old Dominion to 10 points or less. And I think that's very doable if they can build off of last week, fix the corrections, get rid of the turnovers, get rid of the sloppiness, and play the kind of football that we're accustomed to seeing Virginia Tech play, specifically against an opponent like this. Yeah. It's not It's not lining up like last year, as you mentioned. I don't see them taking the top off of our cover zero quite to the tune that they did last year. Um, talent-wise, very different team in ODU that we're dealing with this year. And like you said, I mean, you hit on the thing that I keep hitting on, and I know I'm being repetitive here, but I want this team to have an identity so bad. As Hokie fans... And, and Hokie alums, and, and whatever, whatever the case be with with you, whatever uh, you know, whatever background you come from, you, you grew up and you've grown accustomed to a team that had an identity um, to their own uh, to their own uh, disadvantage at times. Um, that blue collar, hard nosed defense, great running game. You knew what Tech was going to do for so long under under Coach Beamer. 
And now you've got a situation under Justin Fuente where I still don't know what we do. And that's kind of unacceptable. We came in with the idea of, okay, he's going to come in and he's going to run a high-tempo spread system. He's the quarterback whisperer. And then this is all kind of tailed off. And now we don't have a great quarterback. There's certainly no tempo about our offense. There's no rhythm about our offense. There's no consistency with our offense. If we're going to find that identity, and every good team has to have an identity, and the best teams are the teams that have a consistent identity year after year after year, then we need to start now. And this is not a next season thing. This is a now thing. And if this is going to happen, ODU is where it's going to start. What worries me, if we come out and we have the same inconsistent offense, we have the same trouble moving the ball, pushing the line of scrimmage, then you have to start asking some really tough questions about some coaches and what do you do to get Virginia Tech where it needs to be. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I do think we're going to rebound, and I think you'll see that identity open up a little bit. I imagine we're going to be far more aggressive on offense than we were against Boston College. I I expect to see some big plays. Um, The running game I have questions about. I don't know if we'll ever be a good running team this year. But I'm interested to see what we're going to do from the offensive side of things. I think you can pass all over ODU if you want to. The question becomes, as you mentioned, will Ryan Willis be able to do that without turning the ball over? Because I agree with you. I think more than one interception, and and that's unacceptable. Two certainly is is, is totally unacceptable. If he's got two before halftime, we might be seeing Hendon in the game. We might be seeing QP in the game at some point. Um, Because at this point... Fuentes backed himself into a corner because this is the same coach that benches running backs for the rest of the game after one fumble in the first quarter. Now, you can't do that. You can't preach ball security and make an example of your running backs and then have your quarterback out there throwing interceptions left and right and not doing anything about it. And Fuentes seems like the kind of guy who would be a principled man and who would, uh, for the sake of consistency, treat his quarterbacks like he treats everyone else on the team. And if we see another uh, showing from Ryan Willis that harkens back to the Boston College game last week, I do think we're going to see Hendon or QP. So my eyes, all eyes for me, are going to be on that offense. And I think this matchup, while not extremely intriguing on paper, from a lopsidedness standpoint, I think this game will tell you so much about the 2019 Virginia Tech football team for the rest of the season that it is going to be absolutely prime viewing for all Hokie fans. And for that reason, I am so excited for it to start. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know if I'll be super confident going into conference play, but if we come out, and I don't know if Fuente is the type, he hasn't shown that he is, to kind of rub it into a team and maybe throw up a few extra points. But Old Dominion over the last year has been sure to remind everyone multiple times, really in any interview, that they beat Virginia Tech. So I think that probably wears on you a little bit as the coach that that lost and as a coach that had no business losing that game. The the other thing that I think is maybe an indictment on Fuente a little bit is he's a quarterback guy, right? Right. He played quarterback in college. Like, he has kind of made his name to an extent on – developing quarterbacks sure. you, you go back to his time with uh paxton lynch at memphis and andy dalton at tcu you know it's like okay those are 
you know, Paxton Lynch from a college perspective, not so much NFL, mm-hmm. but Andy Dalton has carved out, you know, a nice career in the NFL, had a good co- college career. He's had guys come in like Gerard Evans, who's played well. Josh Jackson as a freshman played really well. And, uh, you know, now Ryan Willis, it's it's his time to go. He's had a year in this offense. He's had, you know, a full off season. We got to see something. Yeah. He, he looked like he looked like really bad Ryan Willis from last year. Not like a much improved in any facet of the game. He looked, he looked like he regressed. So he, he looked like a Jayhawk. Yeah. So I mean, exactly. So I mean, that's. Uh, I think it's more of an indictment on Fuente. You know, hey, you got all these quarterbacks. You put an emphasis on recruiting quarterbacks. Well, if Ryan Willis is the best we got, and I do think he's better than he showed last week. Sure. If he's the best we have, if he plays anything similar to what he played last week, then yeah, I, I've got a little bit of uh, of a concern as far as a developmental issue. You know, do we need to bring in somebody else to focus on quarterbacks? I don't really think that's the problem, but you know, we'll see. So let's move on from this one. The game is a noon kickoff, ESPNU. Be sure to check it out. Hopefully, everybody's got ESPNU. We've got if you're a Cox cable internet provider or internet service you know whatever you got down there in the hampton roads area they just announced a partnership with the acc network big time so you should be good to go so let's um do you have a final score prediction for that game tim before we move on 56 to 0 i'm i'm gonna say 56 to 10 (laughs) but 56 is is a number i I mean i I think that's what we should be scoring 56 yeah. is, is that is around the neighborhood of where our point total should be in at this point in the Fuente era against a vastly undermatched Monarchs team. Yeah, no doubt. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, I mean, they scored 35 and looked like a disaster last year. So I think 56 and trying to improve off of last week with the more experienced team, I think that's a reasonable expectation. Sure. So, sure. Uh, let's go ahead and jump around to the ACC. There are s- about three big games really worth uh, really worth following here. So we've got Texas A&M on the road at Clemson. Clemson is a 17.5-point favorite, Tim. This game's on ABC at 3.30. Not sure if you heard this, but the Aggies starting left guard, Jared Hocker, said they will upset Clemson. So good call for him. Way to uh, give Dabo <laughs> and company some bulletin board material. Sure. Um, you know, this was a game last year that Clemson was up 28-13 in the fourth quarter, but then A&M came back led by some crazy, a crazy performance by Kellen Mond, uh, that, uh, ended up bringing Texas A&M within two before a late interception kind of ended their hopes there. But, you know, A&M is a team, they're ranked 12th in the country. They've got a very difficult schedule. They've got Clemson, they've got Georgia, they've got Alabama, they've got LSU this year. So... This is a pretty important game. Not just, I don't think they have to win it, but they need to prove that they can hang around. Um, I think the thing for Clemson, Tim, is is Trevor Lawrence needs to play a little bit better than he did last week. And I think he will. I do think the A&M defense is you know, far superior to what we saw from Georgia Tech last week, um, especially that defensive line. I'm not sure about the secondary, which is going to possibly cause some issues, but... You know, Kelly Bryant was a big reason Clemson won that game last year. He's obviously not here this year, but, you know, I still think Trevor Lawrence is an upgrade. I think he will take a step forward. And like I said, you've always got Travis Etienne. So if they can find a way to move that, uh, move the ball on the ground, even with that really stout defensive line, I think Clemson will kind of cruise in this one. 
I'm not sure I'd put money on them to cover 17 and a half. Uh, but I'd say a two touchdown win is is well within reach for Clemson. Yeah, I mean uh, that that makes sense, and I do agree with you in the sense that I think Clemson is going to cruise. However, I don't think it's to the tune of 18 points either. I think that spreads a little high. A uh, and M's got the explosive kind of players that need that are needed to compete against Clemson. Uh, make no doubt uh, that Jimbo and all of that talent can certainly get it done. Um, you know, I like the passion from the guard on Texas A&M. I hadn't heard that he had already given bulletin board material to Clemson. Um, but it's going to be one of those games that if it was, uh, you know, if it was in Texas, I think I would feel a different way about it than I do. It being, you know, in Death Valley kind of helps me believe that Trevor Lawrence will be able to settle down. Etienne will do his thing and the Tigers will come on roaring and finish that game with, you know, a flurry of touchdowns and, and put it to bed. Um, but I'm thinking, yeah, a, a, a touchdown to a two-touchdown win is probably on the table and the most likely outcome. You know, but there is something pulling at me saying, you know, Texas A&M has the firepower. Clemson, in theory, on paper, certainly has the defense needed to neutralize that. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of players on that Clemson defense that are, are gone now. Um, and they weren't exactly tested in their first game. So we'll certainly see what happens, and um, this is a really, really good game. I'm super excited to watch this one. Night games, uh, you know, in Death Valley are always something great. So, uh, you know, I'm really excited for this one to kick off, but I, like you, think Clemson's going to have a little test. I think they'll come out on top, but, um, you know, can't sleep on Texas A&M at the same time. Well, actually, Tim, this is a 3.30 game. Not that I think that matters mo- like that much, but I also would assume this one was going to be a 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock game. That surprises me. LSU, uh, LSU-Texas, I think, bumped it probably. Um, but I think the thing with A&M this year is defensively, I think they're weaker than they were last season. Right. And I think Clemson in the secondary – you know, Dabo's been on record of saying that, you know, it's the strongest back seven he's ever had, uh, which, you know, that's that's saying something because this team has two national championships in the last four years. Um, obviously, that defensive line is is where they lost most of the, uh, the stars up front, but, you know, it's Clemson. They're just kind of reloading at this point. So I think it might be close at times. I just think in the end, Clemson probably pulls away. Wouldn't be surprised to see him win by two touchdowns. Wouldn't be surprised if if the game is a little bit closer, just because A and M's not going to be intimidated. Right. Uh, they've played in uh, big, you know, in front of big crowds before, in front of raucous crowds. They're in the SEC for goodness' sake. So that's not going to really kind of play into this too much. But at the end of the day, no matter the score, I think Clemson finds a way to win. I think so too. And if Clemson is going to stumble, it's going to be against the rush. Um, certainly when you have Kellen Mond in the backfield, uh, players like Corbin and Spiller from Texas A&M are dynamic running the ball. That's where they may struggle. Um, when you watch last week, that was where you saw Georgia Tech. If they had any life at all, it was on the ground. Um, and a lot of that was due to doing the scheme. They did some tricky things with the option offense that they were used to running and, and the mobile quarterback was able to give Clemson a little bit of trouble. Um, but w- but we'll see how it goes. You know, Mond, Spiller, and Corbin could potentially give, an, give Clemson real trouble on the ground. And if Clemson does struggle, that'll be where it happens. 
No doubt. Uh, another game that I'm all of a sudden very interested in, Tim, is Miami at North Carolina. Yeah. So UNC is a five and a half point favorite in this one. Crazy. And so this game is kicking off 8 p.m. Eastern, ACC Network. The other added dimension of this, Tim, is Manny Diaz is going to visit his old boss in Mac Brown. So for those that don't know, Manny Diaz was fired <laughs> as the University of Texas defensive coordinator midseason. That's right. And uh, I, would, I would probably say that marriage didn't end very well. Um, so it'll just be kind of interesting to see that dynamic. I think they'll be... You know, very, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? But um, cordial towards each other. Sure. But uh, at, at the end of the day, both of these guys are probably going to want to beat the other pretty pretty badly. But, you know, with how North Carolina played against South Carolina, you know, that's it's definitely something to watch. I do think, Tim, that Miami's defense is superior to South Carolina. Yes. And it's going to be a very tough test for Sam Howell. Uh, kind of going up against a defense of this caliber. You know, Miami's not a top 25 team at the moment, but they've got probably a top 10, 15 defense. Sure. Um, which will be one of the, you know, stronger defenses that Howell's going to see all year. So he gets it in week two. Um, and the thing that really worked for them last week, Tim, was the rushing game. So they had Michael Carter and Javante Williams. I think they had over 200 yards combined. And uh, that Miami defensive line, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to rush against, which means the passing game may not be as wide open for Howell. Um, and then you got Jaron Williams. So what's he going to look like? How's that offensive line going to hold up? You know, it's it's not the strongest defense for North Carolina, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mac Brown pull a, pull a few tricks out of his head that, you know, Miami isn't necessarily expecting. So I don't know how you stand on this one. I mean, I'm going to say Miami wins the game. I just I'm not confident enough right now in North Carolina even coming off of that South Carolina win. And I do expect this game to probably be sold out. I think there's a lot of hype around the program right now and especially after coming off of last week. Um I think it might be a little bit loud in there. It's definitely going to be louder than if the game was played at Miami. So um I'm actually looking forward to seeing what that crowd looks like, but at the end of the day I think Miami has way too much talent. A lot more talent than North Carolina, but Seeing the head coaches and the Jaron Williams-Sam Howell matchup for the first time that we'll probably see at least three times over the course of uh, their careers, is uh, it, sh it should make it for a good one. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We're going to find out if that game against South Carolina was a fluke um, and what they'll be able to do against Jaron Williams. Uh, they certainly bottled Bentley up when they played South Carolina, and that was surprising to the extent at which they did neutralize South Carolina, although South Carolina's offense was always going to be uh, iffy at best. South Carolina's defense was certainly supposed to be uh, formidable. Miami's going to be a little better, but it does surprise me uh, how to see how effective UNC was moving the ball on the ground. Um, it, it's just you got Javante Williams, Antonio Williams, um, and Michael Carter just tore up the Gamecocks last week, um, which really, as you said, made the uh, made the day easier for Sam Howell. The flashpoint is going to come in this game if Quarterman and company on Miami side are able to take away the running game. How does a true freshman quarterback respond to a team with a more athletic and just face it, a, a more talented defense? Um, that's not to say I think the Tar Heels won't have success. 
I could certainly see a scenario in which they win this game. I do think Jaron Williams is going to do just enough that DJ Dallas is going to do just enough to give the Canes the win here. Um, but this is going to be so much tighter than I ever anticipated. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Canes walking away with a three-point three point win here. Yeah, and I mean, I think DJ Dallas is certainly the X factor for the Miami offense. I think he will be all season as long as he's healthy. Um, and North Carolina's ability to stop him will kind of dictate, I think, Jaron Williams' day a little bit. One thing to maybe look at with uh, the North Carolina offense, this is a team that at one point in the first half of last week's game, on a 12-play drive, they ran the ball 11 straight times. Right. So they were calling an extremely conservative game, trying to really ease Howell in. I'm not sure they're really going to have that same kind of ability to do that in this one. I think Miami, there's a good chance they're going to score some points. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think I, I, I think they're going to let Howell kind of feel it a little bit more in the first half just because he did play so well in that second half. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this will be a good game. You know, and that's something that I I wouldn't have said uh, preseason. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's see how it goes. It'll be a nice early season ACC matchup that will most likely have pretty big implications uh, towards the latter part of the year. It's probably more so for Miami, but who knows? It's the ACC Coastal. So Yeah, and, and a big Coastal matchup it is this early. And make no mistake, you know, we've kind of poo-pooed what they did through the air. But, you know, Sam Howell did well, almost 250 yards. But really the thing that I thought was great were uh, Daz Newsom and Deami Brown on the outside. Uh, really, really dynamic. Uh, we'll see if that continues and, and, and see if Miami can get a win or if uh, Carolina and the Mack train can keep rolling. Yeah, no doubt. So another intriguing matchup, Tim. We've got number 21 Syracuse on the road at Maryland. College Park, 11, or uh, noon Eastern on ESPN. So Josh Jackson and company, of course, former Virginia Tech quarterback, uh, coming off a very impressive win in Mike Loxley's debut, 79 to nothing victory against Howard. Uh, but at the same time, put up 79 points. You know, that's that's pretty impressive. I would, I would take that all day, any day. Uh, but I do think, Tim, this is a pretty big game for both programs. Uh, I think with Syracuse, the defense, once again, it looks like it's the unit that's going to lead this team. It's what's going to keep them in games. And I'd be very surprised if at any point this season, you know, the Syracuse defense is run all over. So I think week three against Clemson, we'll get to see that kind of up close and personal. It's the Syracuse offense that we really need to see kind of where they're at, specifically Tommy DeVito. So, you know, he... He didn't look great last week, 17 for 35, threw a couple of picks, no touchdowns, and it's going to be pretty important for him to improve against a better opponent, albeit Maryland's probably at this point a mid-to-low-level, big or uh, mid-to-low-tier Big Ten program. Sure. Um, but, you know, that being said, I still want to see a couple of steps forward for Tommy DeVito before heading into Clemson or else that Clemson game might be pretty ugly from a uh, Syracuse offensive standpoint. So I don't know where you land on this. I, you know, one thing that stood out to me is, you know, one, every time I see Maryland, I always think they're in the ACC because they should be. Um, and then two, you know, they're a two point favorite in this one. So the, uh, the money line is in favor of Maryland. So what are, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? I'm kind of right in line with that. 
Um, what we saw from DeVito last week was discouraging. One, because in the Dino Babers offense, the quarterback, it, it, it's a quarterback-friendly system to say the least. And if you've got a guy going out there throwing a paltry 50% completion percentage with two interceptions against a school like Liberty, that gives you a lot to worry about. Now, I get it. It's his first game of the season. That's always tough to judge a team on how they looked in one game. But that's tough, especially when you're talking about the passing game and you're talking about the Syracuse Orange. That is kind of their wheelhouse. Now, I will say, you know, Mo Neal looked great. Uh, Abdul Adams looked great. Uh, they ran really well against Liberty, and I expect them to continue to run really well against Maryland. Um, but I don't think that passing game is going to get it done, and I don't think you're going to see a huge improvement going into Maryland in Week 2. Uh, you certainly may seem see a better game than 17 for 35 for a 176 and two interceptions, but I don't think you're going to get good enough to beat Maryland. Um, I do think the Terps won a really tight game here. Uh, but I will say, you know, that defensive line – wreaked havoc against Liberty just like we thought they would and I expect them to give Josh Jackson a heck of a time in the pocket uh, if Syracuse does come out on top it's going to be because what that defense does I don't expect a whole lot of improvement week over week on the offense here yeah it's a big test for Josh Jackson who I would say definitely has the edge if we're you know judging the quarterback matchups and you know, he's a guy who had a lot of success at Virginia Tech. He did have some up and down moments, but, you know, at the same time, I'm inclined to probably lead towards the Terrapins. I still, we still don't really know what they look like, right? Right. Because they played Howard. So there's only so much you can look into it. Okay, they put up 79 points. That's a big number. Uh, but it's a new coach, a new system. You got a brand new quarterback, you know, a guy who's shown that he can win games. Um, until I see Tommy DeVito play a little better, I do love that Syracuse defense, which pains me to go against them here, but I am a little bit worried after that week one performance with uh, DeVito against Liberty. And I you know, I want to be clear here. I'm not overreacting. I, it, it's not an indictment on DeVito. I just need to see him improve sure. before I pick him in a game like this, especially with Clemson coming up next week. So. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at there. Absolutely agree. Let's uh, let's move on, Tim. So that pretty much does it for the you know higher profile games in the ACC this week. So let's uh, let's run through some of the lower key matchups. So starting with William and Mary at Virginia, and you know if you're just looking at it on paper, oh that's not really interesting. I'll tell you why it's interesting, Tim. It's interesting because of Mike London. He's coaching in his second game at William and Mary, which happens to be his first return to Charlottesville since being fired. Yes. So a really, uh, a really <laughs> uh, juicy kind of storyline there. Uh, just kind of seeing his uh, reception will be something to watch. It is UVA's home opener, so he's got that added dimension. Uh, I don't think UVA is ranked. They are getting hype, um, but. You know, they're one of those teams where they're still the media darling. Uh, I think they've gotten a lot of attention after last week beating Pitt. I think people are giving Pitt maybe a little bit too much credit as to what kind of team they are. I don't think Pitt's a very good football team. Uh, but that being said, uh, what I want to see out of UVA in this one is, you know, who's going to be running that football besides besides Bryce Perkins? Right. So I think there's a good chance the defense shuts out William & Mary. 
I think there's a good chance Bryce Perkins doesn't play the second half because I don't think this game will be in doubt. Um, what I do want to see is somebody step up in that rushing attack for UVA. Um, you know, and if they can't do it in this one, then I'd have concerns going forward about you know what they're going to be able to do outside of Perkins. Uh, just because, again, I've said this multiple times, it can happen, but you don't want your quarterback taking a Tim Tebow-like, you know, hit volume right. over the course of a season because not everybody is built and or, you know, born like Tim Tebow. So something to watch there. I don't I don't think UVA struggles at all in this one, but, uh, you know, let's see what they can do offensively outside of Perkins. Yeah, and I'm totally with you. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, Wayne Toilapapa didn't look totally great against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, he seems to be the guy who's going to be the bell cow, at least earlier in the season. Uh, Toa La Papa. I just hope he does emerge because, I mean, what that a name, great name. That name is, is yeah. gorgeous. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to have to come from someone other than Perkins. I don't think running Perkins 20 times a game is a recipe for success if you're UVA. And I know that certainly has to make them nervous, uh, given how integral he is to the passing game, being the quarterback. So, you know, you, you want to keep your quarterback from taking so many shots. So, yeah, we need to see who's going to step up there. Uh, Mr. Tola Papa is the, uh, you know, that's the guy in, in the driver's seat right now, but that could certainly change. Um, and then, you know, where are we going to get some explosive plays? Uh, UVA was held completely in check when it came into explosive plays against Pitt. Uh, we kind of identified that as an area of weakness for them moving forward uh, at the beginning of the season. And it needs to show against a team like William & Mary uh, in order to give me a little bit of hope as far as their uh, title and divisional aspirations go. Um, so we'll see. I mean, that's what I'm looking for from Virginia's front. And uh, if Mike London goes in there, goes at Scott Stadium, and pulls out a W, I say we go ahead and build a statue in front of Lane Stadium. <laughs> uh, I'd actually prefer it in front of Scott Stadium. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll raise the money and we'll fund it. So that'll be perfect. Uh, it'll just be the ultimate troll job. <laughs> um, that game is seven or eight p.m. Eastern. Sorry, I keep looking at our Central Time Zone here. So they get the uh, they get the night Eastern. game, and Clemson yeah. and Texas A and M is three thirty. That totally checks out. Yeah. Perfect. Well, it's it's ACC Network. So sure. the Clemson game, it's got to be on a major network, obviously. So yeah. uh, one game of notes, or the next game, let's focus on Wake Forest at Rice. This game is going to be played in Houston, Texas. Uh, weather is scheduled to be 100 degrees. Of course, it is at 8 p.m., so it should be a little bit cooler. But, you know, Wake Forest playing in humidity down there, you know, that's really the only thing I could see potentially stopping them. You know, just make sure that Willie Taggart's not there to, uh, you know, give you the pregame uh, water break as uh, as we've heard so far this week but <laughs> sure. this game will be on uh, CBS Sports Network uh, what I'm really looking for here you know Rice Rice is a team they finished 2 and 11 last season they did play Army pretty tough last really week really tough uh, really tough close game 14-7 Army's a team like you're like okay Army whatever Army's won 14 straight games at home yeah and has the second longest winning streak in the country at 10 games and so that's second only to Clemson. So I don't think Army's as good this year as they were last year necessarily. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if that's a much improved Rice team or, or what's going on there, but something to watch there. Um, I think Wake's going to score a lot of points in this game. You know, I'm I'm not going to be high on Wake's defense at all this season. Uh, but Jamie Newman is 4-1 and one as a starter. I don't expect him to get lost number two in this one. Uh, 
I will be interested to watch how their D holds up, but I think uh, attack of Jamie Newman and Cade Carney, a heavy dosage of Carney up the middle, it's going to carry a weight to victory number two on the season. Yeah, I mean, you expect that. Uh, you know, Army, though, was spoke, well, came into the season with fairly high aspirations. Uh, not quite as good as last year, sure, but that was a team that was seen as one of the better group of five teams. Surprising, to say the least, that Rice was able to hold them to 14 points. Uh, not many teams have held Army to 14 points in the last two years. So that's impressive. Uh, Rice's defense uh, shouldn't have too much trouble uh, with Wake Forest uh, in stopping the running game. I, I think given what they did against Army, it's it's fairly safe to assume uh, they'll be able to focus on the running game and limit Cade Carney to a certain extent. What the real trouble for Rice is going to be is is through the air. Uh, Army, very one-dimensional team. That quarterback not able to do a lot through the air. Newman is a whole different ball game. I was really, really impressed what Newman did through the air against Utah State. He continues to impress me uh, physically. I think he's one of the strongest guys, strongest quarterbacks certainly in the ACC, and his arm uh, is no slouch either. He's a baby Cam Newton. Um, and it's really, really cool to see Newman having so much success when he came on last year and kind of the surprise end of the season that Wake Forest have. Obviously, I expect Wake Forest to cruise, but I do expect Rice to be a little tougher out uh, than maybe people were expecting, uh, especially after seeing how well they handled the run against Army. Uh, Ohio at Pitt. This is an early game, 11 a.m. Eastern, which I never really understand why you get an 11 a.m. Eastern game time, but... Also on the ACC network, you know, Ohio's a team. They're coming off a win against uh, FCS uh, Rhode Island. Yeah. So somebody at Virginia Tech will get to play later in the season. Uh, and, you know, I really wouldn't sleep on Ohio in this one, Tim. This is my, my upset city of the week. No. I like quarterback Nathan Rourke of the Ohio Bobcats, an all-max selection to lead his team to victory over Pitt. Uh, I just I I didn't like what I saw out of Kenny Pickett last week. Uh, it's a pass-heavy offense with a quarterback that isn't great at passing, and I just don't think anything is really a fit for Pitt at the moment. I like Nathan Rourke better than I do Kenny Pickett. I think Ohio could be a bowl eligible team this year. I'm going with Ohio. Yeah, I mean you kind of stole my thunder there. I have in my notes the fighting Frank Soliches get it done. Um, there you go. There's not a lot to like about Gotta Pitt right Frank now. Gotta love Frank Solich. What yeah, a guy. God, dude. What a, I mean, just surprised, honestly, that he's still coaching at his age. Uh, <laughs> props to him. If I have all of my faculties at his age, I will consider it a win. So big, Absolutely. big props to him for doing what he's done. Um, you know, most everyone on this podcast probably will remember him from his Nebraska years. But, yes, he's still at Ohio coaching his tail off. Uh, a great quarterback. And, and certainly a decent enough Mac team. Pitt, just there's nothing to love. This is more about Pitt for me than it is for having faith in Ohio. Um, yeah. There's not a lot there's to just, love with Pitt. There's, there's not a there's lot There's nobody there. you can point to on that offense where you're like, yeah, yeah, I like this guy to carry the load here. No, I just I don't see it for Pitt. I don't and see until it. Until we see that person emerge, I'm, I'm just going to have a hard time I need to see with them in many games. I need to see improvement from Pickett. If I don't yes. see improvement from Pickett, I'm going to have a hard time having faith in anything Pitt does. Because honestly, what I saw from Pickett against UVA was completely discouraging. And all those strides they talked about him making in the offseason and in spring, I could not see it. Um, much like last year, 
when when people held Pickett out as this guy that had potential, I just could see it. Still can't see it. Not to say it's not there, but it certainly hasn't presented itself. So if you were Pitt, you hope that you get a sign of, of, of a pulse out of Kenny Pickett in this game. I don't see it happening. I think Pitt continues to struggle um, with the position that matters most, and that's quarterback, except this year they don't have uh, two elite running backs to to pin their hopes to. Uh, you know, I expect Ohio State to take it in a close one. Ohio, you mean? Yeah, Ohio. Sorry. The Bobcats, yeah. the green team, not the uh, – the. Is it what do they call that red? Is it Scarlet? There you go. Scarlet, yeah. yeah. Uh, Western Carolina at NC State. This game is on the ACC network with an X. I don't know what that means exactly. 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this isn't going to be much of a game, Tim. No. Uh, should be a good kind of good half of play for Matt McKay, I would think, uh, and see what some of the other quarterbacks can do, get them some game experience. One thing unfortunate for NC State, they are now without junior wide receiver C.J. Riley, That's who right. went down with a torn ACL last year or last week. So. Got hurt on a special teams play, so that's uh, that's a big blow to them. Sounds like freshman Devin Carter is expected to to fill the void there, so that'll be a good game for him to kind of get his uh, get his feet wet in the offense a little bit. Western Carolina team coming off a 22 point loss against Mercer, so you know I don't know if there's even a line for this game. I haven't seen one, but if there is, I'd probably feel pretty good about putting my money on NC State. Yeah, and, and you know, big loss in C.J. Riley. That was a guy that State was going to uh, depend on to take the top off of defenses. Uh, a guy that stands six four, runs a legit four three, laser timed forty. So you're talking about an elite athlete um, that is going to be hard to replicate in that wide receiver room. So uh, get well soon, C.J. I believe this is his second or third ACL tear. So you you hate to see it for him. Um, but it, agreed, NC State should have no problem here. Uh, you're hoping that Matt McKay only has to play one half, um, and given the uh, the lack of depth on NC State O line, uh, you kind of just the Wolfpack hopes are that they can go out there, run out, get a big lead, and rest everyone, and hopefully get some guys healed up for West Virginia next week. South Florida on the road at Bobby Dodd visiting Georgia Tech. South Florida is a team, Tim. Uh, they are actually the underdog in this game, a five point underdog. Coming off a 49-0 loss against Wisconsin. So they only had 157 yards on offense. It was their seventh straight loss dating back to last season. They struggled to stop the run. That's what Georgia Tech does best. I expect this to be a somewhat competitive game, but I actually like Georgia Tech to come away with this one. I think think they go ahead and get Jeff Collins win number one down there in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, something's wrong with Charlie Strong and his stint at Southern Florida. There's something's just not clicking there on all cylinders. Um, what strange. a fall for him, huh? Yeah, I was just thinking that I, you know, at the time Texas made that hire, I thought it was a fantastic hire. I, I still think extremely highly of the character of the man who is Charlie Strong. I just don't understand what's failing him in regards to his football teams. Um, you know, high hopes. If you're USF, you're making that hire, and it's absolutely a knockout grand slam hire. You're getting a guy with Florida recruiting connections who's coached at big Power Five football programs. Um, and then the, what you end up with is a guy that can't seem to get consistent quarterback play um, and whose teams just don't seem to fight like you would expect them to. 
Uh, it's strange. It is extremely strange. I don't know what's befallen Charlie Strong at USF, um, but you really hate it for a guy. Uh, there's few people in the sport of college football I respect more than Charlie Strong. So, uh, you know, it's a shame to see his his team where it is, but uh, being the underdog is exactly where you'd expect them to be, especially against that uh, or with that showing against Wisconsin. Um, you know, they came out, looked flat, uh, really weren't able to compete from the jump and just seemed athletically outclassed, which is strange for a team from Southern Florida. Yeah, so that game will be 2 p.m. Eastern ACC Network. And just one more thing on Charlie Strong. I mean, you know, maybe he's just meant to be a defensive coordinator. That's yeah, fine. True. Because he was a great defensive coordinator. But he as was. a head coach, it just hasn't worked out for him. Um. Let's move on. We got Richmond at Boston College. Again, this is on that ACC Network X. I don't know if that X stands for regional broadcast. I'll have to figure that out. But 3.30 Eastern. Uh, Don't expect this one to be much of a game, Tim. I like uh, Boston College to pick up where they left off. Anthony Brown should have a big day. A.J. Dillon, uh, I think, will really kind of get going in this game. But for the most part, you know, this is kind of one of those games where you expect to be well in hand at halftime. Let's see what some of the reserve players can do. Um, I don't know if you think otherwise, but with how Boston College looked last week, which was pretty impressive in uh, in my opinion, I, I don't expect them to look bad at all against uh, the old Spiders of Richmond. No, uh, you know, Boston College cruises here. Liked what I saw from them last week, even though it stung uh, to watch that game a little bit. But, yeah, I, I expect them to cruise here against the Spiders. That's not a real shocker. Uh, expect Dylan to get going, and, and the Eagles should have uh, no issues with this one. UL Monroe at FSU. FSU a 21-point favorite, 5 p.m. Eastern on the ACC Network. Oh, FSU. You know, this is a team, they just can't stay out of the headlines. You've they got can't. the dehydration issue that Willie Tackard had to come out and clarify. You had a team that looked like it just kind of quit there in the second half, an offense that played an atrocious second half after lighting up the first half. So, in my opinion, if you're a Florida State fan, what you want to see is Florida State come out and play an entire four quarters of football. And I know that's extremely cliche to say, but it just doesn't happen a lot under Willie Tiger. We just don't see no. it. No. It just no. doesn't happen. So, you know, you all Monroe's a team who's coming off a game last week, granted it was against Grambling State, but 315 yards on the ground. So that's what they're going to come in here and try to do. Florida State was a team that struggled last week against Boise State against the run. Albeit, I don't think there's a Robert Mahone on the UL Monroe team. I could be wrong. I'm not going to pretend like I know everything there is to know about UL Monroe. But I think there's too many playmakers for the Seminoles to come up short in this game. At the same time, I, I just I'm I, I'm in this uneasy mode once again with Florida State, where I just feel like they could literally lose to anybody. But at the same time, they could probably beat anybody. Yeah. So it's like, how do you make sense of that? I I just I think this is Willie Taggart's last year. I I just I feel like at the end of the season we're gonna look back and they're gonna have seven wins and be like, wow, they left so many wins on the table. They're gonna be in a lot of games. I don't expect them to lose this game, but also I expect something to happen that we're gonna have to talk about because they just can't seem to stay out of their own way. Yeah, yeah. This is gonna be a mentality check for the Seminoles. 
that was a brutal way to lose against Boise State. Uh, seemingly had the game in hand. They were flying on offense. Uh, and then a gut punch in the form of a loss to the Broncos there. Uh, and essentially uh, what actually was a home game in that case. Um, we'll see how they bounce back. I mean, this is a team that they should have no problems with. Certainly talent-wise, they outmatch uh, the Warhawks uh, substantially. Uh, even though, you know, the Warhawks look great rushing against Grambling State. That was Grambling State. Um We'll see what happens. Mentality's always been the issue with, with Taggart and the Seminoles. The team quit on him so many times last year. And certainly with the team that quit, you expected the mentality to be the focus going into the offseason, getting that uh, culture right, as we hear so many times. And again, I don't want to castigate what Boston College did too much, um, but that Florida State team crumbled yet again. So it will be important for them to come out, go into cruise control, never look back. But you're right. Something is going to happen in this game that puts them in the head, the spotlight for all the wrong reasons, negative attention. Um, and that's just the Willie Taggart era. That's just how these Seminoles roll. North Carolina A&T at Duke. Uh, don't really have a whole lot to say about this one. 6 p.m. again, ACC Network X. I'm assuming that X is regional. I think Duke gets on the board here, first one of the season. You know, I think they showed some fight against Alabama. I'd like to see Quentin Harris play a better game, uh, especially through the air. I want to see what kind of passing ability he has against an inferior opponent. Um, I think they'll be able to run the ball pretty well. Um, I'm not really concerned about that. I think they'll. I think the rushing attack is the strong suit of this offense, but. I'd really like to see Quentin Harris come in and be really efficient through the air for Duke in this one to just give them a little bit of momentum going forward. And if he can come in and play halfway well, Tim, I think Duke is a, a team that could get six or seven wins this year. Yeah, I mean, I think so too. I really think they could. There was a lot to like against Alabama. Um, but don't sleep on NCA&T. Like, this is a football program that has really turned it around. Uh, they used to be a complete doormat, and, and now they're they're actually doing really, really well on the FCS level. So 10-2 and two last year, uh, first place in the MEAC. Uh, Sam Washington has them doing really well. Again, they have success in the NFL. Tariq Cohen uh, is an Aggie or was an Aggie in that, that regard. I don't expect them to win, but this isn't a pushover FCS team. This is an A&T a and team in this case that beat a haphazard ECU team last year. Um, but it's been done, so Duke will just need to make sure they don't go into this one sleepwalking. I think they'll be fine. Uh, but it looks probably to be closer than I think most people expect to me. Um, I don't think Duke will struggle mightily against the Mighty Aggies, but I do think there's more of a game here than people expect. So last game of the week in the ACC, we got the Louisville Cardinals against Eastern Kentucky. And so Louisville's a team we didn't talk about this week, uh, but actually looked way better than I think anybody expected them yeah. to look uh, against Notre Dame. And so as a team that matched them almost step for step, unless we're talking about turnovers, which Jawan Pass had three lost fumbles, which just can't happen. Nope. Uh, but it looked like they have a pretty strong rushing attack. I mean, they actually outgained Notre Dame on the ground. So, you know, I left that game feeling better about Louisville. You know, I, I expected them to come in and compete in every game. They hung around for way longer than I expected against Notre Dame. Uh, but they're a 24-point favorite against Eastern Kentucky. You know, if you're in the area, you can attend the game for $3. So why don't you go ahead, stop by, 
watch Scott Satterfield get his first win as the Louisville head football coach. Yeah, it's the Colonels versus the Cardinals, baby. The uh, number seven rivalry in the Bluegrass State. So you're going to want to tune in for that. Um, you know, the issue with Louisville and what we're going to want to see there is uh, Jawan pass can't pass. And hopefully he's able to remedy that <laughs> no, uh, because that is... It's too, it, it's too easy. It, it was just like a apple falling off a tree. You yeah, just had to grab it. I had to grab it. You know, I, I've been saving that one up, obviously. You're going to hear that multiple times this year. But it's a real problem. Uh, Jawan Pass has shown great promise as a runner, uh, the opposite of that as a quarterback. So if you were watching this Notre Dame, you saw him go 12 for 27 for 134 through the air. Um, you know, this was a guy that had a 67 yards on the ground and two touchdown rushes, uh, which were very nicely schemed by Scott Satterfield. Um, but you're going to need to see something from Jawan in the passing game against lesser opponents. Notre Dame, a very stout pass defense. The Colonels of Eastern Kentucky, not going to be very stout. So hopefully we see some improvement there. Interesting to see what Louisville does on offense. I thought they schemed really well, got Javian Hawkins the ball in a way that really allowed him to make the most out of his quickness. Um, and I, I expect, honestly, to see the same thing. I think Hawkins will get uh, you know around 20 touches again. Um, but Satterfield building something really special there in Louisville, it's not going to show this year too much. But I think that opening salvo uh, and the way that they performed against an overmatched or, you know, they were certainly overmatched against a very talented Notre Dame team, was pretty great. Um, and I expect good things from them in the not-too-distant future. And, and this should be a good uh, stepping stone for them, a game to go ahead and get Scott Satterfield his first win uh, and get the season moving in a positive direction. No doubt. So that is all for the ACC this week. So I think it will be a pretty fun week two in the ACC. Week two is always one of those weeks where it can really either be a dud across college football or be, you know, somewhat intriguing. And I think even in the ACC and outside the ACC, uh, there are some intriguing matchups. Uh, a couple of games outside, Tim, that I'm looking forward to. Keep your eye on Cincinnati. They're, they're traveling to uh, Columbus. They're taking on Ohio State. The line is 16 points for Ohio State. Don't sleep on Cincinnati. No. Cincinnati's a team that's got an absolute monster in uh, Michael Warren in the backfield. You know, Ohio State looked really crisp against Florida Atlantic in the first, you know, half of the first quarter. But then other than that, they, they seem to slow down a little bit. I'd put Ohio State on upset alert. Uh, I also am going to be paying attention to that Nebraska-Colorado game. Nebraska is a four-point favorite on the road. The reason I say that, I think Nebraska is getting a little too much hype this year. I don't know why there's so much hype around Nebraska. Scott I mean, Frost. I know, I know he's he's an intriguing guy. Yeah. But I think it's probably a year too soon for them. I have a feeling that's going to come down crash crashing and burning. And then, uh, of course, the premier matchup of the of the week: LSU at Texas. Uh, big storyline is is Sam Ellinger. Is he is he legit? Is he the modern day modern day version of Tim Debo? We'll find out. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Re a uh, repeat of the Sugar Bowl last season that Texas came away with the win, I believe. So, um, a lot of big matchups. Tim, I don't know if there are any others that stand out for you. I probably stole them all. No, you you took them all, and that's fine. I just wanted to highlight. I love Desmond Ritter. Cincinnati going to give Ohio State a tough game. You can book that. Um, and then Colorado, Nebraska. So 
based on the restructuring now, uh, Nebraska going from the Big 12 over to the Big 10, Colorado going from the Big 12 out to the Pac-10, or the Pac-12, whatever they refer to that conference out west as nowadays, this is like a blast to the past, the 90s, and Cordell Stewart, uh, you know, manning the Buffs offense. And it's really cool to see a rivalry renewed. Um, certainly still a rivalry, but they're not meeting every year. Colorado, Nebraska, tune into that, if not uh, for any other reason than nostalgia's sake. Absolutely. So that is our week two recap. Uh, we are excited to have you join us. Once again, we're Chowder and Grits the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. If this is your first time listening, be sure to hit that subscribe button and uh, come back for the recap next week and then obviously a uh, week three preview. We're glad you're here. Go ahead and uh, and share, spread the word about us. We're on Twitter, at Chowder and Grits. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else that you can find podcasts. Or you can head over to ChowderandGrits.com as well and listen over there if you don't have access to a podcast player for whatever reason tim why don't you uh tell these fine people what they can do for us leave a review it always helps tell people tell your friends give us referrals that's how we grow our listening base and uh we can tell it's growing so good job to you guys thus far we appreciate all the support and we look forward to making uh, many more episodes in the future uh but again if you don't follow us on twitter if you don't already find us on facebook Uh, And we look forward to interacting with you guys throughout the season. So that's it for us on this week two preview. And we will see you guys on the backside. Go ACC. Go ACC.